0: Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. We are preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians and are in the middle of chapters 11 through 14 that deal with Worship matters in the local church. If I were to survey this congregation or other congregations around the country and the world and ask what matters when the church gathers, there would probably be a lot of answers. But 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that one key aspect that we must remember when we gather as a church is that each One of us in here matters. God's people matter. The church matters. Jesus Christ died and rose again, not for a building, right? Not for a movement, but for his people, his church. Ephesians chapter 5, 25 says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so God's people, the church, the members of the church matter. And from Jesus' first coming for the last 2,000 years up until now and until his second coming, he has been saving and sanctifying and gathering to himself his church, that is his assembly of Saints, the word church means assembly. That's the the spiritual church. That's the universal church. My grandma is in the universal church, even though my grandma is in heaven. My my sister, who lives over in Southeast Asia, she's in that church. And so are you if you are in Christ Jesus. And when you believe the gospel, where I really should say, if you have believed the gospel... But when you first believe Christ immersed you, he spiritually baptized you into his church and you are forever a part of his spiritual body, his church. And so in obedience to Christ, we visibly represent, we picture the invisible work, spiritual work of God. We do that as we illustrate spiritual baptism with water baptism. So spiritual baptism is Christ's work in our heart at salvation, and we have people get in the water back here, and we dip them under and bring them back up. That doesn't save you. That doesn't do anything meritorious for you, but it's a picture of what Christ has done for you on the cross and by the Holy Spirit in your soul at salvation. We reflect the invisible heavenly spiritual body by forming a a physical local church like this called Lighthouse Bible Church. Each of us demonstrates that we are part of this body through public uh, church membership. Local church membership is a visible public way to, to verify who are among us who are saved who have obediently followed the Lord in water baptism, who are living obedient lives, and who are committed to serving one another, committed to the unity of the body. And so we have this this public testimony called church membership of a private spiritual reality in our lives. And so what we see here in 1 Corinthians is that God put together different members he saved them and placed them into this local body called the church we call the church of corinth so look at verses 12 or chapter 12 verses 1 through 11 and you can see in those verses that those verses teach that you are individually gifted to function in the local church Verses 1 through 11 are like an anatomy class, where you learn what the different parts of the body are, and you identify what your part is in the body. And then verse 12 through the end of the chapter, verse 31, teach us how you are to unite with the local church. So verse 12 through 31 is like a, a physiology class, where you actually learn how those parts function together in unity, So 1 Corinthians chapter 12 uses this idea of the human body as an analogy to help us understand that like the human body is one organism and made up of many parts, we as a local body of Christ, we are one body and there's many members. And the church is to minister to one another, we are to function according to God's assigned role, how he has gifted us, and the church is effective when the church functions according to each member, I should say, functions according to their assigned role. Christ's body, the church, is only effective to the degree that all members are functioning together in spiritual unity, and that makes sense, right? Right? Because a physical body can only be affected to the degree that all the members are functioning together in unity. And so it is with a church, with this local body of Christ. And last week we started this and asked this question, how are you to function as a member of the church? And so first we looked at you must function uniting with the church for the cause of Christ, Would you look at verse 12 with me? Verse 12 teaches us to unite with the church for the cause of Christ. Verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. And remember, we were Surprise there at the end of verse 12 because it seems like the word should be so it is with the church, but he says Christ, and so we have this kind of twist on why, why would he, surprising twist here at the end of why would he use the word Christ instead of the church, and that is to make a point, and that is that the church is Christ, the church is the body of Christ. We are the hands, we are the feet, we are the mouth of Christ on this earth. And so what you notice through this passage is that there's this one body that has many members functioning together. In fact, you can see that in verse 12, one body with many members. Look at verse 13, you can see in verse 13 it's one spirit and notice how he forms one body Verse 14, notice there's one body that has many members. Verse 18, God arranged many members in a body. Verse 20, there are many members, yet one body. Do you you see the point? You see the, the repetition here? Verse 27, now you, so this is the Corinthian church, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So these verses are calling us to unite as a local body of Christ in Simi Valley for the cause of Jesus Christ. The center of God's work on this earth is in and through the local church. I believe that with all my heart. 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul wrote to Pastor Timothy, and he said that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. And there are a lot of good Christian organizations out there. We support some of them for missions, and that's wonderful that we should do that. But listen, Christ's work is in and through his church. We are the body of Christ, churches like ours are the bodies the body of Christ at work on this earth. And so we, we unite as a church in the name of Christ, as the body of Christ for the work of Jesus Christ. And then the notice next that you must function based on your, your union with Christ in the spirit, based on your union with Christ in the spirit. And so we unpacked this last week, verse 13, For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So verse 13 speaks of the work of the Holy Spirit at conversion, whereby Christ unites a believer with himself. In places, he he immerses, he dips him, he baptizes that believer into the spiritual body of Christ. So the baptism of the Spirit is the moment that you are positionally changed to be in the body of Christ. The, The drinking of the Spirit is that same moment when, as a believer, you received the Holy Spirit. So I want to show this to you real quick. Would you go back to John chapter 7, verse 37? Go back to John 7 because Jesus spoke of this drinking of the spirit. Jesus spoke of this receiving the Holy Spirit. John chapter 7 verse 37. Jesus stood up in front of a crowd of unbelievers and he announced to them that if they were thirsty, speaking of spiritual thirst, they could come to him. John 7:37 the scripture says that Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So Jesus is saying, if you're spiritually thirsty, like if you know that you need God, then you should come to Jesus, who is God, who is God in the flesh. And notice it goes on to say, what does it mean to come to Jesus? Whoever believes in me As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What is Jesus talking about? Well, John tells us, now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified and so Jesus was speaking of the holy spirit that he would give us he would ascend to heaven he would send his spirit and when he sent his spirit it was a spirit the spirit was sent as a gift when a person believes in the gospel the spirit comes and dwells in that person permanently, so much so that they have living waters flowing out of their soul. It's like there's a, there's a spiritual fountain that never stops in your soul, and that spiritual fountain is the Holy Spirit. So go back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, because the baptism of the Spirit, the drinking of the Spirit, are, two, are the same event that happened at conversion. Or I should say there are two events that happen at the same time at conversion. It happens when you repent and believe the gospel. The baptism of the Spirit unites you with Christ, changes your position. The, the drinking of the Spirit gives you the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And what happened at that moment when the Spirit came into your soul, it changed your life. It changed your position. You went from a rebel to a son of God. You went from hell bound to a citizen of heaven. You went from a sinner to a saint, a holy one. You went from an enemy of God to being a friend of God, from a slave to sin to a son of your heavenly father. And so notice all of those are positional changes. And when your position changes before God, it affects your practical function, right? Children have certain blessings and certain responsibilities That within the home, if you're a citizen, you have rights, you have roles in your society that other people from other countries don't have. So as a member of the body of Christ, we have responsibilities. We are to function within the church according to the position that the Holy Spirit has placed us in as a child of God, as a citizen of heaven, as a friend of God, as a member of the body. So the reason the apostle injected verse 13 in this passage is to give you the basis on which you are to operate in the church. You see, your primary identity is not your social status. Notice that in verse 13. It's not that you're slave or free. It's not that you have this job or you're employed at this place or you're this wealthy or you're this poor. That is not your primary social that is not your primary identity it's not also your your it's not also your uh, your cultural status or your, your your background it's not whether you're Jew or you're, or you're Gentile your identity is found in Jesus Christ. you see many times our relationships are our, our status in society if you're in school the the type of grades you get or maybe, you have a particular job that you love. Your job becomes your identity. It's what defines you. It's the primary way that you identify yourself. But when you come into Christ, when you are brought into Christ by the Holy Spirit, that is not your, I should say, your primary identity is now Christ. You're not primarily identified by those other things of the world. They are important. They are a part of your life. But the primary Purpose of your life, that which gives meaning to your life is Christ. And so therefore, because we have that position, we are to function as members of the body of Christ. And then notice third, you must function as a church member, rejecting the harm of isolation and envy and pride. Notice that starting in verse number 14. Verse 14, for the body is. Does not consist of one member. There's no loners out there, but many. The human body is just a fitting illustration of the church. The human body is one organism, he says. It's made up of many parts, many members. Think about how the, the physical body interacts and works together and is interdependent and interconnected. I mean, I I can pick up my Bible right here. My hand picks up my Bible, and it's able to do that because my arm is working together with my hand and my elbow. And think about how all they're interdependent, and they need each other. My eyes are necessary to see where my Bible is, so I can pick that up. And even the fact that my hand is alive is only because I have a heart that's pumping blood to it, right? The point is, there's no such thing as a hand that is able to survive on its own. It needs to work together. In the same way as a church, we must function as members who need one another. We must work in unity for the benefit of one another. A church member who is isolated or a church member who opposes someone else actually hurts the whole body. To illustrate this, Paul personifies of the body. Look at verse number 15. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. So, so imagine a foot decides he wants to quit. He's done. He's going to walk away. Okay. And so the foot says, everybody thinks I stink. Well, I'm done. I'm no longer a part of this body. And you know that hand? He's visible. Everybody sees him. He gets all the glory. You know, he writes. He raises his hand. It's like he gets, he, everyone is noticing him. And so I am going to not be a part of the body anymore. If a foot functioned that way, if a foot had that attitude it would hurt not just the hand, it would hurt the entire body. And why is that? Because a member can't function in isolation. In the same way as members of a body like this church, we can't operate in isolation from other members. There can't be members of Lighthouse Bible Church that say, I'm just going to sit this one out. In fact, I'm just going to come on Sundays. I'm going to slip in the back. I'm going to leave. And I just don't really want to be a part of everybody. That's not how a body works. It's dysfunctional. Everyone has a role. And not only do we need you, but you need us. I mean, spiritually, that's what the scripture is saying here, is that we need each other for spiritual life. We need to help one another. So really, this is a matter of repentance, When we neglect the church, we need to recognize that's wrong, that's sinful. We are a part of a body, and so we need to recognize that we have an important function. So we must reject the harm of isolation and then also of envy. Look at verse 16. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. So the foot in verse 15 and now the, the ear in verse 16 has this envy for other parts of the body. So then imagine here in verse 16 an ear. The ear is upset because it's not as prominent as the eye. The ear says, all I hear is how the eyes are beautiful, how people want to sail into the blue ocean of the eyes. And that ear is jealous, is envious of the eyes. And the ear says, oh, why do people not honor me like the eyes? And see, this ear is wanting, is is envious of the glory of the eyes. And you could see how an ear could be envious of an eye like that. Now, I know we're talking about personification, but just imagine that with me. But consider how harmful it would be if each body part acted like that with one another. If there was this envy of one another. In the body of Christ, that same type of envy can be so damaging to a church. I don't often, we don't often publicly thank individuals And part of that is because you don't want to leave people out. You know what I mean? You start listing people, and then other people come to mind. But sometimes when that does happen, when someone gets mentioned, and maybe we don't get mentioned, we can start thinking to ourselves, why did they leave me out? Why am I not getting noticed? I do a lot around here, and they don't ever say me from the pulpit. And the point is, sometimes we can allow, whether in a setting like this or just in a group setting, we can allow envy to seep into our souls. And you can hear a person be praised, and you can think, I, do, I think I deserve to be praised. Now, envy will poison you. Proverbs 14:30 Envy rots the bones. Envy steals your love for God, it kills your joy. Your envy ultimately will infect the rest of the church. And so we need to recognize envy as a sin and recognize it as something that God hates. Let's confess the sin of isolation and envy and then last of pride. Look at verse 17. Verse 17. the whole body if the whole body were an eye where would be the sense of hearing if the whole body were an ear where would be the sense of smell so so imagine a body desiring to all be eyeballs so you have this piece of flesh that's rolling down the road and it's just filled with eyeballs that's a monster isn't it that's a freak that's not going to help anyone, is it? Sameness like that is not godliness. You see sometimes people look for a church and they're looking for a church that's just like them. Like they have the same culture, maybe the same age, maybe the same likes and dislikes and the, and they think that Christ's likeness is people being like them. But actually what the scripture is teaching here is that our differences are are ordained by God. And actually, God uses that to serve one another. We should appreciate the differences. So notice verse 18, he says, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say, to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So now you see the, the I here is transgressing as well. He's saying, I don't need you. And so you see this pride here. I mean, imagine an I puffed out and boasting. Hand, oh, the hand. You are not as important as I. Sorry about all the puns, okay? But the dad part of me, I guess. But Hand, do you know that an eye has two million working parts? Like Hand, how many working parts do you have? Probably not close to two million. Did you know that the eyes are the second most complex organ in the body after the brain? Hand, I am way more important than you. So you can imagine this eyeball puffing out in pride about that in that way. But then a speck of dust flies through the air, and it flies into the eye. And then what does the eye do? Help, help, get this out. And it might blink and try to get it out. But then he says, hand, please. In other words, what? He needs the hand. The hand all of a sudden is actually pretty important, isn't it? And so what you see here is that he's calling out this, this pride. I don't need other people. I'm fine on my own. And so what he calls us to here actually is humility. It takes humility to ask for help. It takes humility to receive help. You know, sometimes you have things during the week that are going on in your life and and then we find out like two weeks later that there was a tragedy in your life and we didn't know about it, can you help us by letting us know what's going on? And Sometimes it takes humility just to say, hey, I'm struggling in this, or maybe to say even, hey, our marriage is struggling, and to come to one of the elders and say, can can you help us? That's humility, isn't it? But if we really want to help one another, then we will have that kind of humility when we, we, we receive people. We'll give that kind of humility when we come with an issue. I think it's also so easy to perform our function with pride instead of humility. So easy, and if you're in a more prominent position, to have this high view of yourself, especially if you're really good at whatever it is. John Stott said, Pride is your greatest enemy. Humility is your greatest friend. I think that's true within the church here as well. C.S. Lewis offered a test for us to give to evaluate our pride or humility. So I'm going to adapt it for us and ask some questions based upon his questions. Think about these questions. How do you feel when someone doesn't take notice of you? So think about yourself in this church, you're serving in some way, you're doing stuff, maybe it's not seen, they don't take notice of you, does pride cause you to seethe or does humility cause you to praise God that he alone was glorified? How do you respond when you are criticized or someone points out a fault? Does pride cause you to defend and attack back Or does humility cause you to evaluate your life? How do you think about yourself after you serve and you get a lot of praise? You teach, you sing, you clean, whatever it is, and you get all the pats in the back. Does pride lead you to boast and take glory? Or does humility cause you to direct your praise back to the Lord? And so we must function rejecting the harm that pride and envy and isolation cause not just to ourselves, but to the whole body. And then we must function forth submitting to God's assignment for you. Look at verse 18. Verse 18, but as it is, God arranged, God placed the members, that's you, in the body, each one of them as He chose. The NIV translates this, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. We believe in the sovereignty of God in our life. And do you realize that even in our function in the church, God is sovereign? God has placed you where you are in the body to fulfill a particular role. I mean, think about God's design of our human body. Isn't it incredible to think about? How ridiculous is it that that modern secular scholars assert that the human body came about by chance? I mean, just think about how complex our bodies are, how interdependent our bodies are, how symmetrical and, and intricate, Each part of our body has a purpose, and and actually that purpose can only be fulfilled when another part of the body is also doing its part as well. I mean, there's an interdependence that just can't evolve that way, okay, no matter how many millions of years you tack on to that. God has placed parts of our body in just the right place. Think about our heart. Our heart is at the center of our body to pump blood to the extremities. God placed the heart behind the rib cage to be protected. God put your nose on your face. And I was talking with some kids at our uh, home group or people at our home group about this. And think about if your nose was just turned upside down, like the holes are up here. And we had all this rain this past week and that water would go into your face and your nose. And you might drown just walking across the parking lot. God put the holes right in the right place on the underside. Our body is made up of billions of parts, even down to our DNA, and it's coded perfectly. It's amazing. It's not by chance, no evolutionary process. But here's the amazing part. The same God who created and designed your body and placed each part in the right place is the same God who has given us this local body. And it's the same God who has placed you here to fulfill a particular function. And so the, really the question is this: are we operating, are we living with that awareness, with that perspective? I mean, did you come in here today and think, okay, God, you've brought me to this church? There's there's someone in here, God, you want me to minister to. God, you're sovereign over this, you've placed me here. So we're to operate with that mindset, submitting to God's assignment for you. So when you're in the nursery and you're changing those diapers and you're like, why am I doing this again? Remember, God has placed you there for the good of the body. When you're doing something that no one else is ever going to see and it's dirty and it's gross, remember that God has placed you there. It's your assignment given by God. And then also notice, we as members of the church must function valuing and depending on other members, valuing and depending on other members. Look at verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, the head needs the feet, right? The eyes need the hands, and therefore, we as a church, we need each other. Verse 22, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So think about some of those weaker parts. What are some of the weaker parts of the body? Well, you have the eyeball. It's, it's weaker. It's, it's, it's sensitive. Even a speck of dust makes it irritable. Is the eyeball dispensable? Can we say, oh, that's such a weak part. Let's get rid of the eyeballs. No? Like, it's pretty important, right? I mean, think about the brain. The brain's pretty weak. It's fleshly. It's soft. It's fragile. It's necessary for life, right? I mean, we can't just say, Well, that's such a small, that's such a fragile thing. We'll just get rid of that. Now, some people might think they can. They don't need their brain, but you do need your brain, right? It's indispensable. That's why there's this hard thing up here called a skull that protects your brain. That's why when our kids go on their bikes, we put helmets on them, right? Because we want to protect that very sensitive, weaker part. So we value and care for those weaker parts, Just because they're weaker doesn't mean they have less value. In fact, verse 23 on the parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. So, so what are these less honorable parts of the human body? Well, look down at your feet right now. Everyone, look down at your feet. Do you see your feet? I'm not talking if you're overweight. I'm just saying, do you see your feet? And the answer is probably no, right? Unless someone has sandals on in here. And even then, you might have socks over that, right? Because it's cold. But you probably don't see it. Why? Because you have shoes on your feet. Your, your feet are hidden by shoes. And some of your shoes are 10 No, Probably not anymore. <laughs> Let's go 50 bucks. Maybe even as high as $500, right? You could have some very nice shoes on right now. So you're feet are honored. It's maybe an unpresentable part. You don't typically parade your toes around to people. Some people do. Kind of gross. But you don't typically do that, right? It's an unpresentable part. And so we we cover that. And the rest of our body, our hands, our brain, we cover our feet with something that's honorable. The, The point is here, that we value the less honorable parts. Notice how they depend upon each other. They're, they care for each other. And that's what he's giving here as an illustration to say in the same way that we are to value one another. We don't look at one person and say, oh, CEO of the company. He is very valuable. Oh, he works at Wendy's. Not very valuable. We don't look at it that way. No, we're all in the body of Christ. And therefore, we all have value within the body of Christ. And we all spiritually need one another. You can't spiritually survive on your own. You need the church. And so, we need to value and depend on other members. We were talking in our home group this past week about how to apply this. Is this talking about scheduled care? Is this talking about spontaneous care? So I mean, what are we talking about? We're talking about scheduled or spontaneous? What's the answer to that? And our conclusion was, yes. Right, when I get up in the morning, I brush my teeth. That's scheduled every day. Try to teach your children to do that, right? You're like, that's something you do every morning, kids. And you wash your body. You wash your face. You schedule a time to eat, to have food, nourish your body. That's scheduled. Sometimes you even have something serious, like a surgery. That's scheduled. That's scheduled. But then also there's this spontaneous care for your body. You know, you have an itch on your back, and so you itch your back. Or or maybe you wipe your face. And the point is, in the same way that you care for your body, we are to care for each other. We're to care for the members of the body. There's the scheduled care. Every Sunday morning we come to be nourished by the word. We come to care for each other. We gather and maybe home groups and other types of groups for edification. But also there should be this spontaneous leading of the Holy Spirit whereby you're, you're calling someone up or you're connecting with someone. It's not on the schedule. It's not planned. But you're like, Holy, the Holy Spirit is directing you to say, I'm going to love this person in this way, care for this person in this way. Which leads us really to the last function. You must function. Caring for the other members. Look at verse 25. Well, we'll start in verse 24, middle of verse 24. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Verse 25, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. That is the reason God has placed you here at Lighthouse. One of the reasons is to care for one another. It's the reason he's given you these spiritual gifts. Notice that word care. It's a very interesting word. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, you find that same verb. Matthew 6, 25 says this: Do not be anxious about your life. That's the word for anxiety. It's the word for worry. It's the word care. I'll actually like how the King James translates Matthew 6, 25. It's a a very literal translation. Take no thought. And so if you memorize the King James at one point in your life, Matthew 6, 25, take no thought about your life. Because that's really what worry is. Worry is continually thinking about something that you cannot change. It's continually thinking about something you cannot change. So that's what that word Care is, is right there. It's, it's thinking about something continually. And so in our regular life, normal life, about ourselves, we are not to worry. So Matthew 6, 25, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Stop continually thinking about things you cannot change, but what should you do? Go to the Lord who's sovereign over everything. Bring your petitions with thanksgiving, and he will give you peace. But now here in 1 Corinthians 12, 25, He says, you better start worrying. You better start thinking about something. Put something on your mind continually. What, or I should say, who are those people that you are to have on your mind continually? And that's each other. What what are you to think about? And I think those those are the needs that we have. Those are each other's spiritual needs. That's each other's physical needs, like there are needs that we have in the church. And and actually his instruction here is that we are to put our minds, we are to think about, we are to, in some sense, not sinfully, but to worry about each other. How worried were you this past week about other people in the church? How much did you think about other members of Lighthouse Bible Church? And again, I'm not talking about sinful worry, okay? We're talking about continually putting your mind on other people in the church. You're praying for them. You're going through the directory. You see this person. You say, I'm going to pray for this person. I'm putting my mind on that person. I'm bringing them to the Lord in prayer. You texted them. You called them. I think that includes our members. I think it includes our missionaries as well. Do we worry about our missionaries very much? Have you been worried about the rights? You're like, oh, Pastor Ben, what's there to be worried about? Well, I don't know anything right now necessarily, but there's daily needs they have, right? I mean, are you worried about the the community pregnancy center? You know what I mean by that? It's like, are you putting your mind on that? Are you thinking throughout the the week? I wonder if there's a a lady that's being counseled today to maybe um, abort her baby and maybe she doesn't know the Lord. And so, Lord, I I pray for that. I pray for the community pregnancy center, provide for them. I pray you'll give wisdom. You know what I'm saying? It's like we're putting our mind, we're caring for those people. Well, What does that look like, Pastor Ben? Well, verse 26, verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. When there's a tragedy in the church, we all aren't going to show up, okay? So don't get the wrong idea there, but we all want to care for you. It might be a text. It might just be a prayer. But the idea is we want to, to be there for you. We should be there for each other. Or if one member is honored, all rejoice together. If, if one member rejoices, we rejoice with them, right? We had a, a, a little baby born into our church a couple weeks ago, right? Not into our church, I guess, but in, Tim and Maisie had a baby. And, and so we rejoice with that. Now, we didn't all show up at the door, but we're happy for them. Maybe you send them a text. You send them a letter. Some of you gave them some gifts at their baby shower. But the point is, we do this together. And verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And At the end of this chapter, Paul again lists the gifts God gave to this church in Corinth. I mean, notice verse 28, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, Second, prophet, prophets. Third, teachers. Then, miracles. This is, this is individuals who are gifted to do supernatural things. And if you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about that these are sign, some of these are sign gifts, like miracles and healings. Those are sign gifts that were given to individuals to be able to verify the, the truth of the message of God's word. I do believe God can do miraculous things. It's not normal. In other words, it's not natural. It's supernatural, and it's not like there's a particular person in the church, and that's the miracle person. Okay, or it's not like there's a particular person in the church, and that's if you if you're sick, go to that person; they'll put hands on you, you'll be healed. Okay, this, we're talking about individuals who have certain functions here. Okay, so but for the church of Corinth, that actually was the case. This is this is a budding church. This is this is a new church that started there, and the gospel was only about twenty years old Christ had died and rose again and ascended only about 20 years before that and so here you have the church that has these special sign gifts and so you see that he says helps helping right there I think probably helping is one of the most predominant gifts that you see in a church and that's definitely in our church today administration that's the ability to be able to organize to to arrange to lead in that way Various kinds of tongues. Again, this is a sign gift. It's someone being able to speak in another language that they do do not know. And, And so here's his point. There are a variety of functions, and there's some that are pretty spectacular, right? And there's some that maybe don't seem as spectacular. Not everyone has the same functions. And so to show that, he asked these questions. Look at verse 29. Are all apostles? What's the answer? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess the gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Now, there are people today that say that. If you're a believer, it'll be evidenced by you speaking tongues. Well, this and many other verses show that that's wrong. Do all interpret? No. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. What are those gifts? Well, we won't go through this. Uh, until a couple weeks, but 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, you can see that. I think the higher gifts there are particularly prophecy. It's being able to declare God's word. So desire those higher gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. What's the more excellent way? Chapter 13. And what's chapter 13? It's love. And the point is that what we do, we do because we love one another. So in conclusion, let's ask ourselves, are we functioning the way that God intends for us to function? Are you united with the church for the cause of Christ? Do, you, do we recognize, do you recognize those times when you get isolated, you pull back, or maybe you have envy, or maybe you have pride? Do you recognize that's a sin? Do you confess it, trust that Christ forgives you? Do you seek to go the opposite and ask God for grace, to be humble, to unite, to love? Are you submitting to God's assignment where he's placed you? Are you caring? Are we caring for one another? Do we we really love one another? The next two weeks are going to be a lot of fun because we're looking at the love chapter. But you know the love chapter? It's about how we interact with one another. Do we truly love one another? God is saying here, he's put us together like a body to care for one another and to have this type of love. Let's ask God for the grace to make us the church he wants us to be. And that is a church that is like Christ. We are the body of Christ. Let's pray.